0: For the scripture reading, we are reading from Psalm 95, 1 to 7, and then the other part will be Hebrews 10:19 to25. So I'll read from the Psalms first, and I'll be reading from the NIV, starting with verse one. "Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation." Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song, for the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture." the flock under his care. And now for Hebrews, remember it's 10, 19 to 25. Starting in 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and have our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching
1: how many of you like the game connect the dots i think i've referenced that in the past i was struck this morning already by so many dots being connected you may have not picked up on it but you know there are themes there are words that catch Your eye, and I'll be pointing a couple of those out as we go along from the songs that we we sang this morning. We have been in a month of messages and worship times focusing on different disciplines that we're called to, and the one this morning is on corporate disciplines. Now, that's kind of a very formal word. Um but we'll break it down a bit more in terms of the activities that Richard Foster, which we've referred to throughout because he's he's written sort of the the definitive one of the definitive descriptions of spiritual disciplines. He describes the corporate disciplines as confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. And we'll take a look at those. But I want to just reference a sermon by Pastor Mike Avery where he said this, he said, I regularly meet Christians who desire to have a deeper life in Christ. They often express it in statements very similar to these. I feel so shallow. I'm struggling with prayer. I don't feel like uh, that I'm getting very much out of my Bible reading. Or another phrase he's heard similar to this, I am spiritually dry and rarely, if ever, sense God's love and assurance. And he says, my follow-up questions often reveal two things. First, the lack of a consistent investment of quality time in the development of their spiritual life. Secondly, they clearly lack the knowledge of how to develop spiritual depth. So it isn't just an issue of, oh, people are slackers in their faith and they're, they're backsliding or they're just not giving up attention or payment for it. It's how do we teach each other and how do we encourage each other and strengthen each other? Uh, it's something that, that is part of that. He also went on to say that when the disciplines are ignored, you will find a group of men and women with the desire and desperation gnawing at their hungry souls, longing to be led to deeper into what they have already found in Christ. Now, we all recognize the symptoms of an ailing and broken humanity that, ch- that challenges our physical, mental, and spiritual health each day. Brief list, growing conflicts and violence. Alienation, loneliness, and depression. Fear and anxiety, mistrust, and broken relationships. God's answer to each and every one of these devastating issues and destructive realities is very clear in Scripture. And not surprisingly, what was designed in his creation but had been corrupted and has been. It's community. That which binds us together You'll hear that phrase a few times this morning, bind us together. And we're gonna sing a song related to that after the message. But this binding together is something that is counter-cultural. It is counter this world and the flesh. It's counter to, to everything that we are surrounded by or nearly everything. And so in the middle of all of that brokenness, and failure, we're asking, what does it take to be a people who reverse the order of this world and go back to the order God created? Many people are good up to this point about community. Yeah, yeah, community's great. Yeah, you know, our, our body, the body of Christ, people of God. We sang about it this morning. Uh, many people are good to the uh, with that part of it, but the reality is there is no community without discipline. And I know what you're thinking. The first thing that will come out uh, in come out in your brain is discipline, meaning punishment. That's not the kind of discipline where we've missed the point of all the work Jesus did with the disciples, if all he spent was three years disciplining them. Well, he disciplined them by the form of training and equipping and and walking them through the learnings of how to apply faith to real life. So it wasn't about punishment primarily. He He gently chastised and he corrected them a few times, and we all need that as well. Children need that. Adults need that. I had an interesting morning this morning. I was in trouble all morning. First, I'm walking down the hall, and a member has the grace and the gentleness to say, you know your tie is flipped up over your shoulder, don't you? Okay. I forgot. I was in the office, flipped it up over my shoulder, and uh, yeah, uh, so I, uh, I corrected that. I come upstairs and uh, my, a relative of mine who is in the category of a child <laughs> that came up and pointed out that I had a bleeder above my lip that I had not paid attention to cut myself shaving. Correction number two. Immediately after uh, I passed them and we tried to get that part corrected, somebody came up and said, you know, your two lapel buttons are not buttoned, you know, on either side of my tie there. And so I had to correct that. I really was feeling pretty disciplined at this point. And then I'm standing up here in the middle of the, the opening song's and I realized there's some white dot on my, on my suit here. And I, I tried three times. You know, I can't see very well, so I'm trying to get this off. And I had to have Cheryl pick it off for me and get that white thing off so you wouldn't be staring at my, my suit and wondering what that is. Correction after correction. That's discipline. Now, that's something that doesn't happen every Sunday, I hope. <laughs> I am getting a little older. But the point of it is this, and you know what it reminded me, I was thinking about this, not that I wasn't focused on the worship, but I was thinking of that, you ever seen those scenes of, of uh, a group of monkeys where they're just sitting around picking off gnats off of each other? That's kind of how I felt like, I'm probably the ape that gets picked on, uh, you know, I need a lot of help. The point is this. The discipline that God calls for is a discipline in Scripture that is a training toward godliness, a training toward faith. Uh, the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit, and we even sang this word summer this morning, that, that whole idea of transformation, maybe Rhonda mentioned it, but to be transformed, yeah, she quoted Romans 12, 1 and 2, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That transformation process is an ongoing discipline process that doesn't come all at once. A child doesn't grow up knowing the right things to do and knowing the truth about God simply by just ob- obtaining it from somewhere. They observe, yes, but there also needs to be a teaching. And so when we talk about corporate disciplines, obviously, this is different than an individual kind of, of, uh, of discipline that we're working with. And the, the problem we have to get over is the constant question of whether or not God is just looking to punish us. Mike Avery in the sermon I mentioned uh, said this. The disciplines are a way of ordering our life around values, practices, and relationships that keep us open and available to God Uh, for the work of the spiritual transformation that only God can bring about. Dallas Willard says it this way, we meet and we dwell with Jesus and his father in the disciplines for the spiritual life. Participating in these spiritual practices is the way we cooperate with God in making room for him to work in our lives. And so we have this dilemma because we don't always get along. We don't always like everything. We don't always agree with everything. And yet it is through the corporate disciplines that we bind our hearts together and say, no, we will stand together. We will not be moved or shaken by this world we will stand up against anything but for the cause of God's will and His way in our lives. And that willingness to do that is a willingness to say, I'm going to commit, I'm going to be all in. We're going to give everything that we can and everything that we have. Listen to these words from Paul in Romans 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. So listen to these words, you know, the cling. Hate what is evil. Be devoted. And then he goes on, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Just the whole tone of this is, Take it seriously and pursue it because the benefit of what will come from that kind of corporate commitment, corporate discipline will make a difference. Somebody came up to me and asked me, hey, how many years has Yellow Creek been doing apple fritters? I said, I don't know because they were doing them when I came however many years ago and I don't really know. If anybody has that answer, you can yell it out. But it's been a long, long time because the church was doing it before I got here. And I remember uh, doing some of the preparations down in the fellowship hall before. But, um, but uh, it's quite an operation. And I will say, the only thing I could think about when I was preparing in my mind for the message today and this theme was just if you could just take what happened in that fritter booth. I mean, uh, not all the mistakes or the, uh, the times that some guy splashed oil or, you know, or fried a fritter a little too hard because it got stuck in the corner and unnoticed, trying to keep up with, with everything flipping. I know I wasn't very friendly while I was frying fritters because I was too worried I was going to burn them. Uh, It wasn't a group of perfect people that did all of their jobs perfectly. It was a people that felt the experience of working together. 1966 is the official word from one of our greatest historians. (laughs) 1966, that's, how many years ago is that? (laughs) Where's the mathematician here? fifty seven years we've been doing fritters, and if you could just be in that booth and watch, you can see what it takes and what we can do together i don't ever remember quite this high of an amount that we brought in from the fritters that's that's pretty good uh, It was a pretty amazing event uh for us in the in the uh in the whole scheme of you know, I'm sure there was, the whole event was a wonderful event. But that experience is the call of God to, to see us. Now, now, Paul goes on. He says this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. These are corporate disciplines. Bless those who persecute you. No, now we get into some of the tougher ones. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. This is the whole caring ministry aspect of who we are and what we do. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And just notice the, the, the extent to which Paul is emphasizing, go all in. This corporate thing is why I sent my son to die for you, to reestablish a community of Christ. And that's our calling that's central to who we are because our witness is gonna have, have no meaning to a non-believer if they don't see it and experience it, that kind of love and care. Um, and he goes on to say, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not re- take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heaping, heap burning coals on his head. And then this line is the kicker, man. You, you've got you've to embrace this line. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the power we have together. None of us can do it on our own. It is the experience of saying, I need everyone here. And there needs to be more added so that they can experience the sense of corporate unity and corporate blessing and corporate truth that we have from God in his word. And the, the reason for the coming of Jesus was to reestablish us as a corporate people of faith. Uh, I like uh, this, this one quote from a resource online. It, it may have also been from, the, um, f- from one of the quotes in Avery's sermon. The corporate disciplines help us participate in the practices of accountability through community and worship. The corporate spiritual practices include, and we'll look at these, confession of sins, participation in public worship, celebration, and accountability by a spiritual director or small group leader. This aspect of spiritual formation acknowledges that our faith formation takes place in the context of community and social interaction. That's how our kids grow up. They, they learn what community is, good or difficult, because of the model of family. So let's look at the five basic modes of corporate disciplines, and then we'll take five lessons from that. The first is, and I'm just going to go through these briefly, um, the first is confession that was already mentioned. Um, in James 5.16 it says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So although that we're called to confess sins on, uh, on multiple levels, there is a place For corporate confession of sin next Sunday we're going to have a take communion and we try to recognize that part of that communion before we take communion is to be able to acknowledge and 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 seek forgiveness and ask God to implement the forgiveness for our sin and naming those and and laying our hearts before the Lord and so that confession is something that's very important. Jesus died for my forgiveness, the forgiveness of my sin. He rose to life that I might also rise. We've talked about that with the imagery of baptism, coming up out of the waters or standing up out of the waters being poured over is the symbol of new life. You rise to new life. And that comes about by the confession and acknowledgement of sin and an embracing of a life of dependence on Jesus the way the truth and the life that dependence is a willing acknowledgement I'm going to lay my heart down before the Lord in whatever the issue is and that that's more important to to our sense of being together than my own personal preferences or wishes and so we have to learn how to be willing and able to confess sins to others as well as our sin before God and laying that down. The second is guidance. Um, I learned how to be guided like Jesus with the father by how I learned how to be guided by my parents or in some cases, other key leaders. There were people at school when I was coming through school that taught me some lessons I'll never forget about being guided into better ways of studying, better ways of behaving in class. Didn't feel great, didn't like to be called out on those, but they were guiding kinds of things. We we are called to be guided as well by Jesus and to live a life that is pure as pure spiritual act of, of worship by the spirit's renewal of who I am by the word. So we sang this morning, it's who I am, it's who I am. Well, I don't become who I am and then stay there. I'm constantly becoming and constantly growing because if I'm not, I'm not going to be happy with anybody around me or anywhere that I am, any church, any worship, any given worship song, And that would be my question. Do we get guidance from every single aspect of worship? Is there something for us that God is saying every time we worship? The third one is prayer. Although it's often noted as an individual spiritual discipline, a body of believers without corporate prayer is a powerless body. Do you believe that? We are nothing without our corporate prayer. And that's why I love the calling for this prayer meeting. And there will be other opportunities in the coming months, I'm sure, from our prayer team to to call us to prayer and to be disciplined in prayer and to be able to, to just take time to lay our hearts down. Uh, this discipline is mentioned not only, uh, but I mentioned again as a corporate activity and it was called for by many of the writings from, the, from Paul and others in the New Testament. So giving a priority to that in our corporate life is something that should always be present. Um, I don't always, but most, almost every time we do communion, we do like Jesus did. He broke the bread and when he had given thanks so even after breaking the bread and before eating the bread, there was prayer. That demonstration to the disciples was not missed by, by them in the observing how he led them. The, the fourth one is worship, and this is one that we could get sidetracked on, but um, the song again this morning, worthy, worthy, worthy. We heard that term multiple times in that song. Some people say, well, why do we have to repeat the the word over and over and over again? I get it. I get it. Maybe it's repetitious. But you know, maybe, just maybe, if we actually reached the number of times that we sang worthy to where God felt, now I know you believe it. Maybe we could stop repeating it. Until that point, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the God of creation. Worthy is the spirit of the living God who dwells within us and around us and among us. Worthy. You know that I preached a sermon a long time ago with a weird name and everybody was like, is that a typo? I used the word, we are skippy. We are skippy. It was... Uh, i don 't remember which language it was in. Uh, it was like maybe Gaelic or something, but anyways, it was the word for that we use for worship and and it basically means worthy that 's what worship means it, it in, indicates that there is a worthiness of who you 're honoring and who you 're singing to. We worship God, we sing to God, we pray to God, we gather whether online or here in person, we meet, we're going, to, we're going to be walking around eating hot dogs and looking at cars. We're going to uh, gather in classes. We're gonna gather around the meal on a Wednesday evening. We're gonna go to Sunday school classes. Next week, we're gonna have a meal uh, for, after the communion that we call a love feast. It doesn't matter what it is. Everything that we're doing when we gather is saying, God, you are worthy, worthy of our praise, worthy of our time, worthy of gathering for your sake to hear and to experience the empowerment of God's spirit among us. That's what we do when we gather. That's why it was so important for Paul to say, keep meeting, keep gathering, don't be taken away and isolated, pulled away from the herd, commit and invest in it. We'll get to that. Uh, so much more to say about worship. But worship uh, is a place that we seek God and we listen for his voice and we depend on the Holy Spirit to guide us. The final one is one that I will say, um, I will say the, uh, we kind of redeemed the, the the first applause this morning, don't you remember what it was, it's not important. But we were just waking up a little bit. Like we, we were kind of like the well, I'm not sure. Well let's do the let's do sort of the quiet clap kind of thing. And then we got to the anniversaries and the birthdays and the celebration part. And I wanna say, Good job, because in those you gave a celebration applause. Now you say, What is applause isn't worship. Yes it is. Yes, it is, because if there is nothing worth celebrating, why are we even here? We're here because of the grace and love of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. And because of that redeeming work that he did, we ought to be the most exciting, joyous, celebrative people there is on earth. Because that is something that demonstrates to the world that even in the midst of all of the darkness, we will still praise our God. And we will not be shaken, we'll not be taken away from that. So celebration is not just the point of, of something that we can, we can find humor around. It is something that we celebrate because if you don't believe in celebration, you probably don't believe in rejoicing and enjoy. joy. But if we believe that in that scripture calls us to rejoice in the Lord, then we are called to celebrate the reason for why we're rejoicing in the Lord. It's just such an important part of it. John Wesley, in a sermon that he he wrote a long time ago, called The Means of Grace, um, he talked about all of these corporate practices as a means of grace. By this, he meant the specific channels through which God works in our heart and lives. It's a way that God conveys his grace to our hearts. And he saw them as a means by which the Holy Spirit moves and works and again transforms us. So uh, Professor uh, Kevin Watson from Emory University had this one-sentence summary of John Wesley's sermon. He says, The means of grace are concrete spiritual disciplines set apart by God as the most reliable way we receive preventing, justifying, and sanctifying grace. Transforming grace would be another word for all three of those. A grace that transforms us into the likeness of Christ. So when we go back, and I'm going to digress here, actually not, I'm going to just draw to a close here uh, with the Hebrews 10 passage that Corey read because there are five things, uh, challenges in this, maybe more, but I'm going to briefly point those out. The first one is that in Hebrews 10, 19, he says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place, meaning uh, the temple, meaning a presence with uh, God in, through the blood of Jesus. And so in other words, we're, we're called uh, to, so we need to have confidence in knowing that we can go to God individually and corporately uh, to persevere in our faith as the heading they gave it. Uh, This claiming of the confidence is a, a confidence to be able to enter that relationship and space with God. So, in some ways, we say this. Everything we do together as believers, we are entering not just the presence of each other, but where two or more are gathered, God is present there. God is present and so we enter holy ground whenever we meet and whatever we're doing because it doesn't matter the activity, it matters our hearts with one another. So claim confidence and approach with confidence. The second one is to walk through the curtain. Now what does this mean? Okay, so you know that when Jesus was crucified, there was the earthquake and there was the, it, it was the, when he breathed his last The temple was shaken and the curtain that divided people from being able to actually get to God was ripped from top to bottom. It was a symbol of God saying, no longer do you have to be a high priest or do you have to have some title or some role. Everyone who calls themselves a follower of Christ has access to the holy of holies which previously only the, the, the top religious officials could enter. Now all of us can walk through it. But we have to decide, I am walking through that curtain. I am, I'm going. I'm going into the presence of God. And I am not going to be discouraged. And I'm not going to be swayed or steered away. I am going to walk through that curtain. That's what Paul was saying. He names, names the curtain. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. So that's what that, that is referring to. The third thing is to be cleansed and restored. The community of Christ is not a gathering people of people without sin and conflict. We have our conflicts. The difference is for a people of God that we resolve conflicts in the way and in the manner that is pleasing to God. It's not that we don't have sin or brokenness or that we don't upset each other or make mistakes. But when we do, we resolve them differently because that is our corporate commitment as a body of believers to resolve things peacefully and ways that honor, honor God and honor the work that Christ. Christ did the work of dying on the cross for us and for us to not access that uh, through cleansing and, and forgiveness and restoration, would be to basically say to Jesus, "Well, you you did it, but I'm not using it." So fourth, hold unswervingly to God and to each other. We need each other. It's not just that it's a luxury to be able to to go to church, or it's a it's a, well, it's a it's a real sacrifice to participate in the fritters or the, whatever the other uh, equivalent to fritters are, uh, we're called to unswervingly hold on to the faith and to each other. Those two things are critical. Finally, Paul concludes this section, or not Paul, but, um, but the author concludes this section by saying, consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. that That is an interesting use of it. it but notice what he says and goes on in verse 25. Let it, uh, Not giving up meetings together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So there's the definition of spurring on. I, every time I'm in a group activity or I'm talking to a member or I'm engaging with any church activity, the only question that should be on your mind is, how can I encourage someone else today in Christ? I don't know where they're starting from. I don't know what kind of week they've been. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know how broken your heart is, but I know this. I am called above all to minister Christ and an encouraging word and an encouraging and loving action to empower you. That's that's the height of corporate disciplines to be able to bind our hearts together in one. And, um, and we have this example, Dr. Gilbert uh, Bilizikian in, in his book Community 101 says this. He says, Christ desired that his church would be the earthly community of oneness modeled after the eternal community of oneness. Jesus went on to declare that he had provided his followers with everything they needed to bring about this oneness. He prayed. Jesus prayed. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, meaning the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So all the resources the Father has entrusted to the Son were now available to his followers and are available to us. Jesus went on to say that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me, that they may know. In other words, the basic purpose of our corporate disciplines and our our community together is to proclaim Jesus Christ and to be about his mission to go into all the world. If we don't hold on to community in, a, in an era that is trying to rip it apart, Satan is actively working to just totally get churches, groups of believers to fall apart. If we don't hold on to community, we will never accomplish the mission God calls us to. I close with this. You know you can't have a close without a good story. Because we talk about corporate, but uh, I love Chuck Swindoll um, and his, his preaching and teaching. He shared this story in a sermon some years ago. He said, a couple moved into the community. The wife was a backslid Christian, and the husband had never received Christ. They were visited a couple times by members of the local church. They became almost abusive in stating that they wanted to be left alone. One day, the wife was looking out the front window when she saw the postman delivering mail. As she watched, the postman stopped in front of their mailbox and sat down on the curb to eat his lunch. As she watched the mailman, he bowed his head and gave thanks for his meal. This touched the heart of this woman so much that she went and told her husband what she had witnessed. Together they decided to go to church where they listened to an inspired message. They both came forward. She united with the church and he accepted Christ. The next week they returned with their parents who also accepted Christ, all because of not even a corporate. And this is where I want to conclude this series of disciplines by saying this. There is not any given kind of discipline that doesn't interact with and nurture all of them. This was one that reached them by the individual commitment of one believer to pause and give thanks right there on a curb with nobody watching supposedly and gave thanks in faithfulness to God because of his discipline to always give thanks before a meal. And that individual discipline became part of a corporate discipline that drew this couple and her parents into the body and into a relationship that makes an eternal difference with with Christ because of one act of faithfulness. That these disciplines are all designed to be spiritual disciplines that reach out and touch lives and multiply and multiply and multiply. Lord, bind us together. Come on up. Bind us together. We're going to sing that song. And then we're going to also talk about the glory that we experience with God who calls us together in Christ.